Welcome to the first SDA podcast. We are glad that you have chosen to spend your time listening to this program, and we know that you will be blessed in the process. We pray as you listen to the message today that you will be inspired, empowered, and renewed to have a closer walk with God. So today we're going to get ready to go right into the Word of God. Uh, this is the third week in a series that we started a few weeks ago entitled Doctrine is Not a Dirty Word. And our goal is to be able to make sure we get to a place where we merge Jesus with the doctrines of the church. There are times where we hear people say we need to preach more Jesus and less doctrine or we need to preach more doctrine and less Jesus. I need you to know if you have a doctrine that don't have Jesus in it, it's false doctrine. And so we want to make sure that over the course of these next several weeks, perhaps months. We just want to make sure that we try to build up the body of Christ uh, through the study of the word. So do me a favor. If you don't mind, just be an electronic evangelist, be an Apple or an Android apostle. Just do me a favor. Just share this message with somebody. Click uh, on the link, copy it and share it with somebody so that they would be able to be blessed through the word of God as well. So do me a favor. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to begin together at verse number 1. Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to look together at verse number 1. And I want you to know that I'm going to spend this week and next week right here in Exodus 16 because I intended to begin preaching on one doctrine, but actually God paused and kind of kept me to deal with another one. But we'll deal with that other doctrine next week. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 1, when you get there, just, uh, just, just say Amen. Exodus 16 and verse number one, the Bible says that the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said unto them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around the pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them. I will what? Test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they were to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that we should grumble, that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evenings and bread you shall want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord before he, because he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer 
for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Now some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, the one who had gathered much did not have much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. And everyone gathered as much as they needed. Then the Lord said unto them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, the word says that it melted away. And then look down with me at verse 35. The Bible says that the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Today, saints, I'm going to talk to you for a little while under the subject, the doctrine of provision, the doctrine of provision. Let us pray together today. Father, my prayer today is that you would make your word really clear. So, Father, I pray that in the hearing of the word that our faith would be multiplied exponentially. So, Lord, once again, would you please hide me in the shadows of the cross that Jesus alone might be seen, that Christ alone would be heard. And at the end of our time together, may Jesus alone be praised. Lord, draw us closer to heaven, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, who is the Christ, let God's people say together, amen and amen. Now again, saints, I want to talk to you today about the doctrine of provision. Now, when I first began studying Exodus chapter 16, my goal was to preach on the doctrine of the Sabbath. But there are some things that God put before my face because what became clear is that if you don't understand the doctrine of provision, you'll never be able to appreciate the doctrine of the Sabbath. Because if you haven't learned how to trust God on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, then you'll never be able to have true rest when the Sabbath comes. And it is critical that we develop some strong beliefs about how God provides. In fact, our primary tension of faith has to do with how we're going to make it from one month to the next. In fact, it is the tension around provision that taxes the newest member of the church and it goes over even unto the most seasoned believer in the body of Christ. And the fact is that there are some of us that can't even pray with focus because we're worried about the bills that might come. There are some that can't practice stewardship because we can't see how God is going to make up the difference. There are some that cannot celebrate provision for today because our minds have wandered to the future and attached itself to worries that are yet to come. And this is why Romans 15 and verse 4 says that everything written in the past was for our learning so that through endurance of the scriptures we might find encouragement and therefore have hope. In other words, saints, the things that happened to Abraham and Noah and Moses, those things happened for a reason. In other words, the things that happened to test them were actually done for us so that we might know how to have faith when we encounter moments of trial and adversity. And it's imperative that we do this because some of us are trying to figure out whether or not God can be trusted in real time. You see, too many of us are trying to figure out the experience of faith through trial and error. And I believe that's an errant way of trying to develop faith because it suggests that the faith journey begins with me. 
And this is why we've got to change the way that we read the scriptures. You see, the problem with some of us is that we think the scripture is about great men and great women that did great things for God. But you realize that the Bible is not about great men or great women that did great things. The Bible is about a great God that does great things even for undeserving people. Let me say it again. The Bible is not about great men or great women that do great things for God. The Bible is about a great God that does great things even for undeserving people. And see, the scriptures teach us or reveal to us a God who is faithful. The Bible teaches me about a God that always comes through. And this is why the Bible teaches that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, saints, your faith will never be stabilized by experience. Your faith is going to be stabilized by what you study. In other words, saints, the scripture is God's divine resume. The Bible is simply a search engine that tells me all of the mighty acts and miracles of God. In other words, if I want to know how faithful God is, I don't look at my circumstance. I just got to Google him in the word. Y'all not with me yet. You know how it is, uh, say, how, how in pop culture or in sports, whenever there is an athlete or a celebrity who feels like he is being undervalued or underappreciated, when somebody comes for them on social media, they'll just drop one line. They'll say, son, you need to Google me. And, and when they say Google me, what they're saying is that you need to look at my track record. And In other words, you need to look at what I've done. In other words, when they say Google me, it means that you don't really know who I am. And can I suggest to somebody today who is worried about money or finance or how you're going to make it, God is saying to somebody today, you better Google me because it's clear that you don't know who I am. If you're worried about the bills, you need to Google Ezekiel 12 and verse 25 where God says that if I say it, it's going to come to pass. If I speak it, it'll be performed without delay. There is somebody that needs to Google Jeremiah 37 and 25 where God says I am the God of all flesh and he asked is there anything too hard for me there is somebody that better Google Isaiah 55 when he says when my word comes out of my mouth it won't return unto me void but it'll accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing I sent it to do there is somebody that's suffering lack that needs to Google Joel 225 because even if you're bankrupt my my God says he is able to restore the years that the locusts have taken away. So even if your last couple years of harvest have been bad, my God is able to make up the difference. There is somebody that better Google Philippians 4 where Paul says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. There is somebody that better Google Job 1 where he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody better Google Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 where he says ask and it shall be given. Seek and it shall be found. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And to somebody you need to, if you're stressed, stop looking at the stock market. Stop looking at your bank account. Start looking to the word of God so you can have your faith built up. Can the church say amen today? And so go back with me, if you don't mind, uh, into the Word. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16, and let's look together at verses 2 and 3. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 2 and 3. There's some, man, there's some good news in this Word for y'all today. Exodus 16 and verse number 2. The Bible says that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said unto them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all of the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Now, saints, I need you to know, 
that as we talk about the subject of provision, there are about four principles that I want to teach today. And the first thing I want to teach you to understand is that we can't worry about problems before they get here. Let, let me say it again. The first thing you've got to understand about provision is that you can't worry about problems before they arrive. Now, it's funny, saints, because as a younger person, when I used to read this text, I used to think at first that their grumbling was actually justified. You see, at the surface, it actually looks like their complaint is a result of their current hunger. But it is not until I look at it in its larger context that I see Israel's sinfulness. When you look at this in its context, what becomes clear is that there are, there are about a little over 30 days outside of the land of Egypt. Now, I need you to know that even though they're gone for about 30 days, scholars teach us that when they left Israel, they took about 40 days of provision. And so I need you to know that they begin their complaining before their food runs out. In other words, there is food already to eat while they're forecasting about a lack that has not even showed up. Now I need you to know the thing that has heightened uh, this level of panic is the journey they're about to take. You read there in verse number one that they've left the valley of Elam and have tra traveled into the desert. Now when you go back to chapter 15, Elam is described as having uh, 12 springs of water and there Elam has 70 palm trees. There the vegetation is plenteous. So between the water and the vegetation along with what they have in storage, Elam is a place of some security. But now they have moved out of Elam and the scenery has radically shifted in desert terrain. In other words, the sources of water are scarce. The vegetation is hard to come by and their storage is about to be depleted. And so with this combination of many mirages and lack of water and declining supply, they get to a place where it's hard for them to hold on to their faith. But the thing that you've got to get is that they're not complaining about hunger. In other words, the murmuring does not emerge from a deficit. Their complaint is not because they already have a lack. Their complaint is because they're addressing problems that have not even arisen yet. Are y'all with me today? Look at this uh, quote here. And Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, here, Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, page 293, put that up on the screen for me. Listen to what the prophet says. She says, they had not yet suffered from hunger. Are y'all with me, saints? Their present wants were supplied, but they feared for the future. They could not understand how these vast multitudes were to subsist in their travels through the wilderness and in their imagination they saw their children famishing. They were unwilling to trust the Lord any further than they could witness continual evidences of his power. Watch this. Now, now before you judge them, she gets on us. She calls many of us, she says, look back on the Israelites and marvel at their unbelief and murmuring, feeling that they themselves would not have been so ungrateful. But when their faith is tested, even by little trials, they manifest no more faith or patience than did ancient Israel. When brought into straight places, they murmur at the process chosen by God to purify them. She says, through their, though, though their present needs are supplied, many are unwilling to trust God for the future, and they are in constant anxiety lest poverty shall come upon them and their children be left to suffer. Watch this. Some are always anticipating evil or magnifying difficulties that really exist so that their eyes are blinded to the many blessings that demand their gratitude. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? 
And see, this, beloved, is why we have to learn how to cast down imaginations and everything that worketh against a knowledge of God. You see, saints, that if you don't control your fears, your fears will always push you to the worst possible scenario. In other words, saints, I need y'all to get the absurdity of what's happening here in Exodus 16. In other words, they are eating dinner around the campfire while worrying that dinner is going to run out. In other words, their kids are alive and healthy while they're daydreaming about their demise. They have plenty of supply while they're anticipating a lack that they've never had since they began their sojourn with God. And can I suggest, saints, that if you're going to survive the journey of faith, you can't worry about problems before they arrive. Because if you're not careful, anticipated agony will drive you out of your faith. And y'all preaching to anybody today. See, see, I need you to understand what I'm saying. See, this is not a call to irresponsibility. This is not a call to indifference. This is not to say I don't have a vision for the future. But what I want to do is I want to give somebody permission to have peace about the present. You, you see, some of us are so mentored by worry that we think to have peace means to be irresponsible. But I need you to know having peace doesn't make me irresponsible. I just believe that God is so able that at some point I can cut off the phone. I can stop checking the email. I ain't got to be up all night long because I ain't going to worry about problems before they arrive. In other words, saints, this is a call away from obsessing and ruminating over things that you cannot control. In other words, saints, I need you to understand that you can't worry about problems in the future. Why? Because God hadn't given you no authority over the future. And in other words, not only did he not give you authority over the future, God hasn't even given you authority over the present right now. And I guess what I'm saying, beloved, is that instead of ruining yourself, with anticipated concerns. Maybe you ought to just learn how to thank God for the provision that has already been made. Instead of obsessing over what may be tomorrow, maybe you ought to just learn to thank God for what he's doing today. In other words, there is somebody at home whose praise is paralyzed because you're worried about what's coming down the pike. And what I want to just charge somebody to do is instead of worrying about tomorrow, you ought to stand up and say this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it there's somebody that needs to say from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same that the name of the Lord is to be praised instead of worrying about what you're going to eat a week from now maybe you ought to thank God that there's food cooking I meant warming up on the stove right now instead of worrying about the fact you may get fired just thank God that you got a job right now. Instead of worrying that the lights might be turned off on a week, you ought to just do a lap if they're still on right now. Instead of worrying about what is going to happen, maybe you ought to praise God for what is happening. Because if you want to grow your faith, the way you do it is by praising God for what's happening today. Are y'all hearing the word today, saints? And see, I need y'all to, to hear me on this, and, and I need you to know I'm not trying to come down when I say this, but our faith is so tattered that all some of us can anticipate our curses. In other words, our faith, beloved, is not even the size of a mustard seed. So that when you listen to some of us talk, the only thing we claim by faith are the negatives of life. When you listen to even some believers talk, all, all they call, see, see, they call things that are not as if they already are, but they won't call blessings that way. The only thing they'll call is curses that way. And it's amazing, friends of mine, that sometimes we'll do that in the name of being realistic. We'll do that in the name of keeping it real. Sometimes I'm always anticipating the bad as a form of a protective measure because disappointment from the past has left its DNA on me. But can I suggest today, saints, 
that there is something wrong with your faith if you can in anticipate curses but you can't anticipate blessings oh, oh let me say it again that there is something wrong with your faith if you can see getting sick but you can't see getting well that there is something wrong if you can anticipate getting fired, but you can anticipate getting hired. There is something wrong if you can anticipate divorce, but you can no longer anticipate reconciliation. There is something wrong if you can see your kids going to jail, but you can't see them going to college. There is something wrong if you can see yourself getting sick, but you can't see yourself getting well. There is something wrong if you can anticipate problems, but you can't anticipate blessings. And what I'm saying today, saints, is what we've got to learn how to do is repurpose our imagination. Now, again, saints, when I say repurpose your imagination, I'm not talking about, man, just, 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 just daydreaming or wishful thinking. When I say repurposing your imagination, what that literally means is I'm going to commit to memory the promises of the word of God so that what I anticipate is not based on what I sense, is based upon what God said. Are y'all hearing the word today, saints? In other words, beloved, I'm not going to anticipate that if I give to God, I'm going to be broke. Why? Because the word has promised that if I give, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. I'm not going to anticipate that if I'm generous, I'll suffer lack because God says if you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, running together, uh, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I need you to know I don't spend my life anticipating enemies that come because guess what they may come in one way but they're going to go out in seven different ways. I'm not going to spend my life anticipating storms because even if they come, Jesus says, if I put his word into practice, I'll be like a wise man that builds his house on the rock. And when the rain falls and the winds blow, I'll stand because my house is founded on the rock. I'm not going to spend my days anticipating the collapse of my house because I believe if God has put it together, then no one is able to pull it asunder. And what I'm saying to somebody is that if you're going to use your imagination, if you're going to claim something by faith, maybe you ought to claim the blessings of God more than we claim the curses of this life. Can the church say amen today? Second thing that this, 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 this story teaches us, this is important. The second thing this teaches us, saints number two, is that you've got to make God your contingency plan. Number two, you got to make God your contingency plan. Now, now, saints, you you got to go. You got to get this: that this story goes against the principles or or the axioms of conventional thinking. And so, even as you look at it, I want you to get this: that that we're not called to do everything that they did, but we are called to extrapolate the principle of faith, because it's interesting. That God gave some, some, uh, some pretty curious directions about how the miracle of the manna was supposed to be handled. You notice one of the things that God said about the manna is that when I give you the portion for the day, that you're not supposed to try to keep any for the next day. Now, now I need you to get this, that, that, that manna, that, that the Bible lets us know that, that, that manna, that it was, it was, it was literally about one-tenth of an ephah. Now, an ephah is about three, uh, or so liters. And so, uh, you know, a cup of manna would be about a third of a liter. And, and it's curious that God says, listen, don't you take anything for the next day. In other words, God says, watch this, I'm not gonna let you put nothing in storage. In other words, God is saying it is your declining storage that caused you to panic in the first place. So God is saying, I ain't going to let you keep no extra. I ain't going to let you save nothing for a rainy day. You can't put none in aluminum foil and put it in the deep freezer. I ain't going to let you have no leftovers. You're going to have to come to my hand every day of your life in order to be fed by me. Are you hearing me, saints? 
Now, I need you to know that God is so specific in this instruction that they reached a point that by the time the sun came out, guess what? The manna that was left over would be melted away. And even with those who were in disobedience that tried to keep a portion for the next day, when they woke up, it was filled with maggots and it began to rot. And I need you to know, saints, that there was a reason God cursed the leftovers. The reason God cursed the leftovers was because of what the leftovers represented. You know why it is that some tried to keep a little extra for the next day. You see, the reason some in Israel tried to keep some extra was so that they could secure themselves if God didn't come through. In other words, the reason I want to keep some in storage is if just in case God forget or just in case God gets mad, just in case God changes his mind, I'll still be straight. In other words, their attempt to bring some excess was an open demonstration that we don't really believe that God will do what he said he is going to do. Now, saints, I need you to get this because I'm trying to put my mind, myself in, in their situation. Now, I need you to get like how anxious and how much faith this requires because you realize that when they go to bed every night, they ain't got no snacks in the pantry. They ain't got nothing if they get hungry and want a midnight snack. They can't keep nothing in the closet so that for 40 years, oh, help me, Lord. For 40 years, guess what? God never misses a day except when he gave double on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to rest on the seventh day. And the reason God set up this situation is so that all of Israel would know that as long as you walk with me, you will never need a backup plan. And see, how many of us understand, saints, that if you're in the will of God, you'll never need a plan B. Oh, God, that's the sermon right there. If you're in God's will, you'll never need a backup. You'll never need a contingency plan. And see, the reason that God wants to curse all of the contingency plans is this. is because if your backup plan is in reach, your backup plan will back God up. Okay. Because your backup plan is in reach, your plan B will become plan A. Because your fleshly plan is in reach, your contingency plan will become your primary plan. And see, the reason that some of us can experience God's plan is because we're so dependent on our backup plan. In other words, there were some of us that a while back said, we're going to step out in faith and we're going to go back to school or we're going to start our new business. But guess what? We kept our old job as a contingency plan. And 20 years later, our contingency plan is still our primary plan. See, there are some young people that have said, I'm going to step out in faith. I want to wait for the husband or wife that God has for me. But because I'm scared, I'm going to keep a jump off or a friend with benefits over here to the side. But because I don't step all the way out, eventually your plan B is going to become your plan A. There are some of us that are trying to move in the area of sobriety, but you keep a little stash of weed or a little bottle of this or for those days where it gets hard. But guess what? When hard days come, if you got that stash in the house, guess what? Your contingency plan is going to be your primary plan. See, how many of us know there's some who say, Pastor, I'm going to give this month, but I'm not going to give it to the end of the month when all the bills have been paid. But how many of us know you got to step out in faith and give it at the beginning? Because if you don't, your plan B is going to become your plan A. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And see, I need y'all to understand that in God, there can be no contingency. In the world of faith, if I'm going to take the journey of faith, guess what? I got to put the entire weight of my house and my life and every vision or dream, I got to put it all in the hands of God. And see, what you've got to get, saints, is that God is not anti-savings. God is not anti-extra, but God is going to curse anything that you try to use as an unbelief cushion. 
See, the problem is all of us try to have these unbelief cushions, these disobedience cushions, these things that we put in place so that we can disobey the will of God and still be safe. And God is trying to help you to understand that if you're going to abide on miracle territory, that you can't have a contingency plan. What are you talking about, Pastor? Do you realize that in the miracles God did, you couldn't have no backup plan? So that if you were walking through the Red Sea with Moses, you couldn't carry no boat behind you because the walls were going to only be open so long. And so you just had to trust that God was going to be able to see you through until you got on the other side. Do you realize that when Abraham went up to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, he literally had to think according to Hebrews, resurrection because he didn't have another son. He didn't have a backup plan in case that God didn't do what he said. So he was already anticipating a resurrection. You realize that when Peter walked on water he didn't have time to put on no life vest he simply had to trust that the word of God was going to be able to sustain him and what I'm saying to you beloved is that if you're going to walk on miracle territory you simply got to move at the command of God and try to lay aside all of your contingencies and the reason God watch this (laughs) temporarily suspends their ability to store is that for 40 years he doesn't want them to have any access to any storage he wants them to have the experience of knowing that every day you come to me every day I'm going to come through for you see I need you to know that, that God help me Holy Spirit God is doing something for them Because, see, I understand it happened to them, but guess what? It happened for us. In other words, he was trying to teach us something about faith so that every day when they woke up and the manna was there, what God was doing was building up their reservoir of faith. God was building up their history with him. And on the front end, it looked like a bad deal. But after 40 years of seeing God come through every morning and every evening, they've come to the conclusion that in God, I don't need a backup plan. And I just need to know, is there anybody that has been walking with God long enough to testify that every time there was a need, every time there was a lack, my God came through right on time and I've had enough of an experience to know that God will show up now now this is trip Tim because I'm kind of like all right so so I'm, I'm trying to like look at this I'm looking at what Ellen White says like would I have had more faith than them but you got to see how this thing takes place because I can see like when God first tells them this them had to be some rough nights of sleep at first In other words, like, I mean, you know, you like to be able to, like, sometimes at night, I ain't even hungry. I'm not going to get anything to eat. But sometimes I just go open the fridge. Sometimes I just want to look and see what's going to be there in the morning. Like, sometimes I just go check to see if the leftovers are are still there. But, like, now they, they have moved to this amazing place of dependence where every night they go to bed, ain't nothing left. There ain't nothing to depend on. Like there ain't nothing to satisfy their fears and to suggest that everything is going to be all right in the morning. So I can see on that that first night of sleep, they wake up at like five to see if the man is going to be there. And guess what? When they wake up at five, it's still there. And then, and then the next day, they wake up early in the morning, and guess what? It's there. And then after a month, they still wake it up early, and guess what? It's still there. After two months, they wake up early, and guess what? It's still there. Now, after about three months, they sleep in about seven. But when they go, it's still there. After about five months, they're waking up at ten, and guess what? It's still there. After a year and a half, they ain't even waking up no more. Because they know it's going to be there. And what God has trained them to do is to be able to rest with nothing. 
because they know when they wake up, it's still going to be there. In other words, God has trained them to know that all of their source, that all of their supply is going to be founded in him. Are y'all hearing the word saints? And see, I need somebody to know that God has perhaps had somebody in a tense situation, maybe not as bad as this, where at first, man, you couldn't sleep because you were down to your last. And after a while, you struggle with sleep because you weren't used to having very little. But some of us have been broke so long. Do I have a witness that like the Israelites, you can go to sleep on next to nothing because you know when you wake up in the morning that the Lord is going to provide everything that you stand in need of. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And see, I want us to understand, beloved, that God is trying to get us to a place where, where you understand this, that if you can go to sleep when you ain't got nothing, guess what? You won't forget God when you have something. <laughs> in other words, if you can get used to having God when you ain't got nothing, guess what? You realize that your something is not greater than the God who kept you when you didn't have anything. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And, and it's crazy, man, because like, man, one of the things, you know, the word of God says in, in Lamentations, he says, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. So it doesn't matter how it looked when you went to bed. No, God is going to give it to you brand new in the morning. It's just kind of like this. Sometimes my wife uh, uh, will, will, will go uh, in order to avoid the crowd. She'll, she'll go to Walmart late at night in order to get the groceries or she'll rise up early in the morning in order to get the groceries. And it's crazy because like the kids, they'll wake up sometimes with an attitude. They're like, man, we out of cereal and, and we ain't got no waffles. And it's crazy because they go and open up the pantry and then it's already there because while they were sleeping, one of the parents was still working. Oh, I wish y'all heard me today. See, I need you to know that even when you're sleeping, your heavenly father is still working to make sure that by the time you wake up, that you're going to have what you stand in need of. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Third thing that this story teaches us is that even in provision, I need you to get this, that even though we get divine provision, it still requires human effort. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Now again, this is twofold. Because God provide God, watch this, God, God provided the manna. But guess what? They still had to go and gather the manna. See, I need you to know that the gathering process was still considered work. So much so that God says, I don't want you gathering on the seventh day. So I'm going to give you a double portion on the sixth day so that you don't even have to do this work on the seventh day. In other words, saints, even though God provided the manna from heaven... God did not send angels to spoon feed it to them. They still had to sweat to gather it and they still had to work to prepare the evening quail. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And so I need you to understand that gathering and preparation are still part of divine provision. Are y'all with me today, saints? Now, the reason this is important is there are two tensions I want to address. Number one, some of us have this mythical faith. We have this mythical faith that says, if God is going to provide, it doesn't require any effort on my behalf. In other words, we, we have this faulty idea that if God is going to do it, I ain't going to have to labor. I ain't going to have to sweat. I'm not going to have to persevere. But how many of us know that just as the body without breath is dead, so faith without any works is going to be dead also. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Now, because I need us to understand that work is not a curse. Work was one of the institutions that God put in place before sin even entered into the equation. So you realize that before sin, before Adam and Eve ate the fruit, you had three institutions. You had marriage, you had work, and you had the Sabbath. The only thing that sin did was it made work cumbersome and toilsome, and Adam's descendants would have to do it in the sweat of their brow. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And see, there, there, there's some that are, that, that are kind of lamenting and saying, man, God is not providing. And my question to some, did God not provide or have you chosen not to gather? 
Did, did, did God come short on his word or are you coming short on activity? Uh, is God not providing or are you refusing to prepare what it is that God has made available? Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Because see, there are some of us, men that live in areas where jobs may be hard to come by. But I need y'all to know in Huntsville, it's one of the few places where if you want to work, there is work to be found. Now, it may not be your ideal job, but sometimes you got to walk through the door that's open before God opens the door that he ultimately has for you. There's some young person that God has provided a way of education, but guess what? You're not preparing for the opportunity that is being granted. You think that if the Holy Spirit is with you, that he's just going to download the answers to your test. No, what the Holy Spirit Spirit does is he brings back to your memory the things you've already studied. Are you hearing me say? This I need you to get. Like God has provided a marriage, but guess what? You still got to work at the marriage. In other words, successful couples are not the ones that are meant to be. Successful couples make it work. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Now the other issue that we confuse is our roles. So that sometimes we think that because I work, we think I provide. Do, do you realize that even though the men of Israel would go out and gather it, it was God who was the one that provided it. So, so even though they had to sweat while picking it up, and even though they had to work their fingers hard while preparing the quail, you realize that their effort would have been of non-effect if God didn't provide what they needed. Now, the reason that is important, especially for husbands or head of households, is that there's sometimes where we weigh ourselves down and we say, yo, listen, I got to provide. You realize that even as a husband, my job is not to provide. My job is simply to gather what God has already provided. Does that make sense? In other words, we got to get out of this habit of talking about what we did. We've got to stop talking about being a self-made man. We got to stop talking about how we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and realize that if God did not provide, you would even have the opportunity to go and gather. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Go with me to Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. Acts, can we get in the good book for a minute? Acts 17 and verse number 28. Look at the word. The Bible says, for in him... We live and move and have our being. Do you realize that if God didn't put breath in your body, if God didn't put strength in your limbs, that you wouldn't even have the capacity to be able to go to work each and every day. So even though you work hard, it is God that provides the strength for you to work. Go to Psalm 76 and verse number 6. Psalm 76 and verse number 6. The Bible says... Uh, 76 and verse 6, at your rebuke, the God of Jacob, uh, both of horse and chariot lie still. But he goes on to say that promotion, promotion does not come from the east or the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. Deuteronomy verse 8 and verse 18. Look at that with me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the ability to produce worth and so confirm wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you by your ancestors as it is today. I need you to know, beloved, that even if you've made it and you've done well for yourself, and God has allowed you to experience some affluence, I need us to realize that it is not our job to pat ourselves on the back or say, look at what we have done, but to acknowledge that it was God that supplied. He just put us in a position to go and gather. Are you hearing the word today, saints? So, so go with me real, real quick. I'm almost done to verse number 18, uh, Exodus 16 and verse number 18. Look at this real quick. Exodus 16 and verse 18. Watch this. The Bible says this, Exodus 16 and verse 18, the Bible says, and when they measured it by Omer, watch this, the one who gathered much did not have much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. And everyone gathered just as much as they needed. The last thing this story teaches us, beloved, is that you'll never be fed by somebody else's portion. You'll never be fed by somebody else's portion. Now watch this. 
So, so, so God does something miraculous in, in, in the distribution process. Now, I don't know exactly how God does this, Jay. I, I'm not clear on how God brings it to pass, but he sets it up in such a way that if somebody goes out with a greedy spirit and tries to take more than the designated omer, by the time they get it to the house, it's been whittled down so they have just what they need. And even if somebody comes out late and they only get the leftovers or the little, guess what? God multiplies their little so that they wind up suffering no uh, kind of lack. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And so I need you to see what... God is doing. See, what God is restricting from happening is he's not going to allow the strong to go out and have dominance over the weak. In other words, God refuses to allow the strong to have a manna empire because they had more strength and more resources to gather. In other words, he is not going to allow a, an Israelite caste community where a few have a whole lot and the many have a whole little, which means God is not Republican, where 1% have 70% and everybody else has got to fight over the 30% that's left. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? In other words, I need you to know God sets it up where everybody, y'all not with me yet, God sets it up where everybody has the same amount. God sets it up where everybody's going to be satisfied by what they have. God sets it up that once I get my portion, I'm not going to be hungry. Once I get my portion, I'm not going to be starving. Once I get my portion, I'm not going to be lacking. In other words, God sets it up in such a way that I ain't going to never spend no time looking at somebody else's plate. God sets it up in such a way that I'm never going to be looking at somebody else's portion. You see, embedded within this process is the principle of learning how to be grateful for what God has provided for you. In other words, God set it up the way if I tried to store more, it rotted. If I tried to get more, it melted away. You realize that in the miracle of manna, God actually introduces two of the Ten Commandments. In the miracle of the manna, he introduces after by giving them a double portion on the sixth day and having them rest on the seventh day, he reintroduces them to the commandment of Sabbath. And by only allowing them to get what they need, he introduces them to the principle of refusing to covet their neighbors. In other words, he's saying, I want to train you over these next 40 years to stop looking at theirs. Through the process of distribution, what God teaches them how to do is focus on their own plate. In other words, like it, it don't do me no good to look at your plate. It don't do me no good to look at your plate because my satisfaction is going to be found in what God portioned off for me. Oh, y'all didn't catch this. In other words, your satisfaction, like in other words, once you got your portion, you weren't going to be hungry. Once you got your portion, you weren't going to be lacking. And God is saying your satisfaction is going to always be found in what has already been meted out for you. In other words, your portion is going to be what satisfies. In other words, you ain't got to look at what nobody else has. You don't have to look at what they got. Your portion is going be more than sufficient. It's, it's crazy because like even in my house, you guys know, uh, I, I got my 10 year, soon year old to be 11 year old. Uh, I got my seven year old daughter and my, my uh, six year old son. And it's crazy because one of the tensions at the dinner table is this. It always revolves around how much food somebody gets on their plate. So, so it's crazy like because I can fix a plate for one person and when they get their plate, they're good with what they have. But as soon as they see what's on somebody else's plate, all of a sudden, what they were just satisfied with, all of a sudden becomes not enough because they had enough that was going to satisfy them. But sometimes we get mad when we see what somebody else has. 
And what I'm saying to us today, beloved, that you'll never be able to enjoy your house as long as you're looking at what somebody's got in their house. You'll never be able to enjoy your car as long as you're studying the kind of car they are driving. You'll never be able to enjoy your work as long as you're assessing their promotion. You'll never be able to enjoy what you have as long as you're focusing on what they have. And God, through the miracle of manna, is calling us away from covetous living by teaching us how to just focus on what's on our plate. It's crazy. Like, like I talked about the kids. But, you know, I just literally did the same thing last, this past Monday. Um, you know, for my birthday, my wife, we went up to Nashville, and, and we went to one of my favorite restaurants. I, you know, don't judge me, but I just love to go to the Cheesecake Factory. And, and Cheesecake Factory is one of those places where if you're not careful, you, you'll suffer from what they call food envy. In, in other words, like, you'll order what you want, but you'll be messed up the whole time because every time the waiter brings somebody else's plate by, You'd be tripping because you'd be like, man, dang, I should have got that. Or, or darn, I, I should have got that. Or, or now I'm unsatisfied because I should have got that. And, and the craziest thing about it all, uh, Brother Kelsey, is I looked through the whole menu before I ordered. In other words, I made a decision to say I didn't want this or I didn't want that. In other words, the food they brought me is the food that I ordered. Now, the crazy thing is even if I got every meal in the restaurant, I couldn't eat it all. And guess what? I decided I didn't want what they wanted. I ordered what I wanted. And I realized that if I'm going to enjoy this time out, I got to stop looking at what's coming by. And I just got to learn how to enjoy what I ordered. Oh, y'all didn't catch that today. In other words, saints, what I'm saying to you, beloved, is you didn't order what they had. You ordered what you wanted. And what I'm saying is that where you had a choice, you better learn to enjoy what you ordered ordered. You didn't marry him. You ordered him. Enjoy what you ordered. You didn't buy that house. You bought this one. So enjoy what you ordered. You didn't buy that car. You bought this one. So enjoy what you ordered. You didn't go shopping where she did. You went over at Belt. So enjoy what you ordered. Are you hearing me today, saints? And God is saying to us today, beloved, that we got to get to a place where we just learn how to be thankful for what we have. Because see, the key to being content is not when I have everything I want. It's when I want everything that I have. And that's crazy. Because I think to a certain extent, when we read this story, I actually think we rejoice, Shay, over the wrong thing. I think we rejoice over the wrong provision. What, what, what do you mean when you say that, Pastor? So, so go back with me. Look in your Bible. Exodus chapter 16. Now, this trips me out. But not, not just because of what happened. You, you, know, you know what I'm shouting about? I'm actually shouting over what didn't happen. <laughs> so verse 9, the Bible says, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community. And they looked toward the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. So tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you'll be filled with bread. Oh, Lord. Y'all realize that, that if God was how we say he is in the Old Testament, you realize that that should read radically different than it does. See, see, the Bible says that they complain against God. But do you notice that before he provides manna, before he provides quail, he provides the best and most important thing. He provides his amazing grace that buffers them from the punishment that they deserve. You know how that should have read is they complained against God. The Lord has heard your complaining. Therefore, you're going to be wiped from the face of the earth. But can anybody just join with me in celebration that 
God did not deal with them according to their sin, but God dealt with them according to the multitude of his tender mercies. Is there anybody that is wise enough to say, I'm going to stop complaining because I didn't get what I deserve. And maybe you ought to shout today because God didn't give you what you deserve when you did not believe, when you grumbled and complained, when you sinned against God. Guess what? He didn't stop blessing you, but he kept on feeding you and he kept on supplying and he kept on taking care of us. Is there anybody that can celebrate the fact that even when I'm undeserving, God still shows up? You see, the Bible is not about great men that does great things for God. It's about a great God that does great things even for people that don't deserve it. Let the undeserving say hallelujah. Let the undeserving say thank you Jesus. Let those who know they don't deserve give God a praise. Because before he supplies bread or meat, you know what he always supplies? His amazing grace. And it is because of those mercies that we are not consumed. I'm still here, saints, because I'm fed by the amazing grace of God. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah today. And listen, as I close, as I get ready to take my seat, I, I wanted somebody to understand these principles of divine provision because God is trying to say to somebody, man, you, you worry about too many things. You are allowing too many things to rob you of your peace. You're letting too many things rob you of your rest. Like you, you will never get settled as long as you're worrying about problems before they come. God is saying to somebody, man, you got to put away your belief cushion, your, your unbelief cushion. You got to let me be your contingency plan. God is saying to somebody, listen, I've provided, but the problem is you have not gather you have not allowed your effort to coincide with my divine provision and God is saying to somebody listen listen I've, I've given you what you ordered but but I gave out a specific amount a specific portion because I was trying to teach my people just focus on what's on your plate Ooh, somebody would have so much joy if you just focus on your plate if you, just, if you just put your affections and you attach your joy to what God has given you and, and you literally just took the time to count the blessings for what you would have and you look at the ways God has made for you, you would actually come to the conclusion that God has been good to me. You, you would come to the conclusion that, man, it's rough and it's imperfect and it's hard sometimes, but, but man, through it all, God has been faithful. But the reason we can't see the faithfulness of God is because we anticipating problems that haven't arrived. We, we too busy looking at somebody else's plate instead of just learning how to thank God for how he is providing for us right here in the present and in the right now. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And there's somebody that's on this journey of faith. And God's word to you today is this. Is that you got to trust him. You, you got to put all of your weight in him. And I need you to know, beloved, that if you're in the will of God, you'll never, ever need a contingency plan. You'll never need a backup. You'll, you'll never need to put something aside. You, 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 again, God is not anti-savings, but God is against you putting things in place to secure yourself if he doesn't come through. God is not a man that he should lie or like the son of man that he shall change his mind. God comes through a hundred times out of a hundred. And there's somebody today who is waiting for things to change before you believe. No, you ain't got to wait for things to change before you believe. Your faith is not going to be steadied by your experience. Your faith is going to be steadied by what you study. You need to begin committing yourself to repurposing your imagination by committing the promises of God to your memory, committing the promises of God to your heart so that what you anticipate is based on what God says and not based on what you sense or what your past experience might be. God is calling you to radical trust, to radical faith, to radical obedience, to learning how to radically step out there and put all your weight on the promises of his word. So there's somebody today that's, that's either never believed or there's somebody that has cast away their belief. And you need to start today 
with relationship. You need to begin today in a committed relationship with the Savior. Saying, I want to go all the way with Christ. You saw a young lady being baptized earlier today, symbolizing that she is beginning the journey of faith. And maybe you need to begin that same journey today. And maybe you need to begin it by saying, listen, I want to go all the way by being baptized. I want to be in one of the next baptisms at this church. If that's your desire, just email us at prayer at firstsdachurch.com. Prayer at firstsdachurch.com. Or right there in the comments on YouTube or on Facebook, there's a link coming up in the comments called Typeform. You can click on that. You can make that calling and election sure. You can email us or whether you're out of town or out of state in another country, we'll get you connected with a believing, Bible-based believing community where you are. But there's somebody that just needs to know that before you can even appreciate the doctrine of Sabbath, you got to embrace this doctrine of provision. Because God is saying, listen, I'm not calling you to be irresponsible. But God is saying to somebody today, I do want to have give you permission to have peace about the present. God is saying to somebody, no matter how little you have in your pantry tonight, I want you to go to sleep and sleep good and know that what you need is going to be there for you in the morning. God, God is saying to somebody, no matter how much life has depleted and wearied you financially, I'm the God that's able to restore the years that the locusts have taken. I can help you rebuild. I can get you back on the right track. But God is saying, listen, I don't want you to live in a constant space of tension and unrest and unbelief. I want you to live a life of hope and joy and fulfillment and, and rest because you know I'm in control of all things. So instead of looking constantly and anxiously for the stimulus, no, just look constantly and anxiously for Jesus Christ who's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you believe God's word today? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Your word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we are thankful, Lord, for these stories which were written in the past for our learning for us to be edified so that we would learn to know how to handle our present adversity. So Lord, I'm praying that, that you would release somebody from worrying about the challenges that have not even come yet. May, may they just learn how to have joy in the present, to have peace in this moment. I'm praying that somebody would put away any disobedience or unbelief cushion, anything that they've set up so that they don't have to abide in faith and trust you with everything. Help them to know that the same way Israel was able to sleep with nothing in the pantry, they can sleep even if they're down to their last. I pray that there was somebody that would learn how to put their works in combination with their faith. And lastly, may somebody just learn how to have joy in the portion you have given them. Help them to stop looking at somebody else's plate and to just find joy in what you've given. And I close this prayer, Lord, just thanking you that even before you supplied bread or meat, you gave us grace. And I thank you that our stories don't read like they should, that we got the result of our sin. But thank you that instead of giving us permanent punishment, you gave us permanent grace. So Lord, would you bless us? Would you keep us? Would you continue to sustain us? We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Let God's people say together, amen. We know that you have been blessed for listening to this message. Join us next week for another inspirational message. If you would like more information about the First SBA Church located in Huntsville, Alabama, or have a prayer request, please visit us at www.firstsbachurch.com. Our services are streamed live on Saturday mornings at 11.30 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Time. And you're invited to watch these live programs on our website. Until next time, may God richly bless and keep you in His care.